So, over the course of my life, I've had several paranormal experiences, most of them fairly minor. A few stick out to me though. I think about this one in particular a lot, because I've never heard of anything similar to it. I've always been a night owl, and I've always had trouble sleeping normally, or staying asleep at night. This is only relevant, because the times I've seen this entity for certain were very late at night or early in the morning. The first and clearest time I saw it was when I was an adolescent. I'm really bad with dates and times, so I don't remember what age specifically, but probably when I was about 13 or so. I'm 21 now, so it wasn't recent. It was around 2 or 3 a.m., and I randomly woke up. This is normal for me. I decided to get up and get a glass of water. The door to my room is at the end of a horizontal hallway that has a bedroom on each end, a door to the bathroom door in the middle, and an archway right next to my bedroom door that leads into the living room. I go to the kitchen, do my thing, and then I go back. As I opened the door and entered my room, I kind of turned back as I was closing it. And at the other end of the hallway, right in front of the closed door to the other bedroom, I saw something. It was standing in front of the closed door at the other end of the hallway. It had a completely blank, pure white head that really stood out in the dark. No face or ears. Its neck and body were black, and for lack of a better term, uniform and shapeless. It almost looked like he was wearing a long poncho or cloak or something. It was average height, maybe a little on the tall side, but not inhumanly so. Its neck was black too, so the only non-black part of it was the head. It also looked solid and not ethereal in any way. I looked directly at its face for maybe five seconds, and then I closed the door on it. I freaked out about it in the morning. But at that moment, I felt calm, but definitely weirded out. I fell asleep an hour or so later without any further incident. The next morning, the first thing I did was check out of the hallway to make sure there wasn't something in front of the door or hanging on it that I could have mistaken for something unnatural. And there wasn't. I didn't get any particular feelings from it, one way or another. It didn't feel like it was a threat to me, but it didn't feel benevolent either but I did feel like it was looking at me when I was looking at it. I've had many other strange things happen to me in this house after that, and my mother and father have also experienced many, again mostly minor, paranormal things that align with my own experiences. Enough that my mom has gone from someone who didn't really believe in the paranormal to such a staunch believer, but I never saw anything that I was certain was this specific entity again, until about a month ago. I know the exact date and time this one happened because I actually made a note in my phone about it right after it happened. It was on May 19th at 5.43am. So I get up to get a snack after an accidental all nighter. As I was looking in the pantry, I saw something weird out of the corner of my eye. I looked up and peeking around the corner of the kitchen entryway wall at me was that same blank white head. Right after I looked at it directly, it moved back behind the wall and disappeared. This time, it startled the hell out of me, enough so that I actually waited in the kitchen a few minutes since I had to walk past where it was to get back to my room. It still didn't give me any bad vibes though, it just made me jump. This time, I could tell for sure that it was solid because the light from the window reflected off of it. What I really want to know is this. Has anyone ever heard or encountered something similar? I've never seen anything about a non-fictional entity with a blank white face, and my half-assed Google search about it didn't turn up anything. If anyone has any ideas about what this might be, I would love to hear them. My boyfriend and I are travelers and live in our van. I am from upstate New York, and he's from Manhattan. I've been living like this for over five years now, and have seen a lot. 
One of the best parts about this lifestyle is the people you get to meet from all walks of life all over the world. Needless to say, we have had a lot of exposure to different people and we aren't easily scared by strange behavior or differences. A lot of times we will camp in national forests, but there are also plenty of nights we spend in Walmart parking lots and Home Depots and anywhere we can find with overnight street parking. The latter has brought us to some sketchy areas where other homeless people camp in bum camps and whatnot. And obviously hardcore drug use in some of these areas is a real thing. With that being said, a few weeks ago, we were kicking it in Denver and went downtown to the Rhino District, off of Laramar, I believe, and were looking at the murals and street art and taking pictures and generally just chilling. It was almost midnight and we ended up in an alley behind an old Catholic church when we saw the feet and blankets of someone sleeping in the doorway. Now, as another person on the street, even though I don't live the exact same lifestyle as people who have to sleep super public like that, I still empathize as much as possible and try to give them respect and privacy. Like, I don't grill them while they're laying there because I can imagine how uncomfortable and demeaning that would be to wake up to. So as we begin to pass this person, I keep in the forefront of my mind not to stare, and I prepare myself that they might be asleep or they might be awake and looking at us, and not to get startled. This person was laying in a maybe three foot indent in front of an entrance to an old factory behind this Catholic church. No matter how prepared I try to get myself, and no matter how much exposure I have to other people on the street, I could not help but get a surge of adrenaline and fear when we passed by this lady. As we got closer, I glanced over and she was sitting up, slouched in the corner, looking right at us. To me, she looked like she could have been native or Hispanic. Her skin was a mix of brown and gray, and she had long, tangled black hair. But what I remember most is her eyes. They were huge and bugged out, and seemed like they were painfully strained, and you could see her lips pull back to show her teeth effortlessly. She had a black expression on her face the whole time we walked by. I feel like this is a good place to mention that after spending time on the west coast, you get crazy accustomed to tweakers and general meth antics. You can usually always tell when someone has lost themselves to meth, and it is a special kind of crazy, but crazy all the same. You can feel when someone has lost themselves to this drug, and the decaying and neglect of their bodies is very apparent. With that being said, this woman did not give off druggy vibes. She didn't look ill and frail because of drug use, and she didn't seem to be fueled by drugs. She genuinely looked sick, like terminally ill type sick. The most fucked up part of this is what she said to us as we walked by. Shane was on my left side, my little husky was clipped to me in between us, and the lady was sitting on the ground to my right. And as we passed by, and I noticed she was making eye contact, I gave her a soft, gentle smile and looked down. I don't know what Shane did to her as far as facial expressions and acknowledgement goes, but as we started to pass her, she says in a soft, serious voice with no inflection at all, What is it called? when you don't believe in God anymore. And Shane quickly responded, I think that's agnostic. And we just kept walking. As soon as we got out of earshots, I was like, Shane, what the fuck? Why did that scare me so much? And he was like, you're okay. It was just a homeless person. It's no big deal. I had a feeling she was going to scare you though, but it's okay. And we kept walking down the alley. At this point, I let Bobby, my husky, off her clip so she could walk on her own, and she just followed behind us quietly. She never barked throughout the whole ordeal or acted scared at all, and she's losing her eyesight a bit, but I have seen it heighten her other senses, and she knows when things are fucked up or if someone wants to hurt us and will bark and go into defense mode. She went through this whole encounter with nothing. We leave the alley and are in front of these old apartment buildings. They remind us of something you'd see in New York, or even New Orleans. Totally project looking, almost shotgun houses, and completely out of place for gentrified ass Denver. 
We saw them as we drove by before this happened, and instantly felt drawn to them because they were so out of place. There was a kid's jungle gym placed on top of a bush in front of a house, which was distinct as fuck, but we didn't mention it until later. And there was a haze of a flashing TV screen and someone screaming in one of the houses through the open door. And this was all across the street from the old ominous Catholic church. It was just the dark alley, the lady, the creepy church, the foreign houses, the supposed presence of children, and the soft hazy lighting from the streetlight above that was such a mindfuck that it didn't feel like we were in Denver anymore. Or, I hate to be this guy, but like we weren't in 2020 anymore. Later on that night, we got back to the van, and Shane told me that woman actually terrified him, and that he knew I was scared, but had to act like everything was okay for me so I didn't lose my shit. He said it was just as unnatural as I felt, and that he doesn't think we saw a person. When he said that, I flipped out, because that's exactly what I thought too. It was unsettling how we both felt the same thing at the same time, and didn't realize it until later on when we discussed the situation. This happened in Venice, California. So last night, we were sleeping in the van by the dog park near the boardwalk, and Shane was staying up doing some art stuff in the van. The way our van is set up is on the left side we have a big long window, and then the driver's side window uncovered. Shane heard someone's feet shuffling and dragging, and was curious which tweaker was walking by, and looked out the window to see someone passing by. This was about 2 a.m., and he saw a lady wearing a black beach hat resting on top of her head with really thin balding hair, so much that you could see her scalp underneath. She turned her head to the side and tried to look through the big window, and it felt like she could see through the window, but simultaneously not looking at anything in particular. Her eyes were really deep set and sunken in, and it seemed like she hadn't slept in a while, but she didn't seem to be on any drugs. Her skin was pale white, and she seemed to be in her 70s or so. She was really frail and dressed to go to the beach, which was strange because it was so late at night, dark, and chilly for Venice at nighttime. It felt like she wanted people to think that she was going to the beach. She was talking to herself, but it wasn't audible, and was no human language she's ever heard. It sounded like radio tuning or something, like a strange frequency of radio tuning. She didn't notice him, even though they were a few feet away from each other, and she wasn't angry or anything like that. It just felt like she was trying to deceive him. The craziest part is there's a plastic divider in between the two windows, and when she walked away from the big picture window, Shane could hear her footsteps, but she never passed by the front window. She didn't cross the street or go behind the van or anything. She walked straight, and he never saw her pass the second window. I'm so glad I wasn't awake for this shit, because I would have totally lost it. As soon as I woke up in the middle of the night, and he told me what happened, I instantly got chills. I don't know what to think about this at all, but I would love to hear your theories. Thanks for listening. The familiar chime rang out, reverberating off the cement block walls as the elevator door slid open. In the months we'd been living in the building, we'd only rarely shared the elevator with anyone else. But this time, there was a woman on the lift already. She didn't acknowledge our presence as we got on the elevator with her. She just stood there in the back corner, expressionless. I reached in front of her to press the button to take us down to the ground floor. The buttons for the fifth and sixth floors were illuminated, as though they had already been pressed, as was the button for the basement. The door slid closed and the elevator cables began to creak and groan as they pulled us upward. The elevator stopped on the fifth floor and with the chime, the silence filling the space was broken and the doors opened. There was no one waiting to get on and the woman in the corner made no move to exit the elevator. I looked over my shoulder at Matt. We shared a look of confusion but didn't think much of it. Perhaps the woman had accidentally pressed the button for both floors. That would be a simple mistake. After a moment, the doors closed again, and we were hoisted the rest of the way up to the sixth floor. Another chime and the door slid open. Again, 
There was no one there. Again, the woman made no move to exit. Nervous laughter escaped me as I glanced over at the woman. She remained expressionless. Her eyes were almost lifeless. She looked dull. There was no luster to her hair or skin. She was elderly and wore a long winter coat, a fur hat and boots. Clean and fashionable, but kind of dated. She hadn't moved an inch since we stepped into the elevator two floors ago. She didn't shift her weight from one side to the other. She didn't adjust her grip on the bag she was carrying. She didn't make a sound. A sense of dread washed over me. I didn't want to spend another second on the lift with this strange woman. I wanted to exit the elevator right there on the sixth floor and take the stairs down. I looked at Matt and I could tell he was on the same page. But before we could make our move, the doors closed again. The elevator began its descent, the cables creaking as we were lowered toward the ground. The display above the elevator doors flashed the numbers for each floor as we passed them. Five, four, three, two. As we finally reached the ground floor, the elevator shuddered as it came to a stop. There was a long pause before the familiar chime finally rang out and the door slid open. We got off the elevator as fast as we could not taking the time to look back at the woman in the corner. She did not exit the elevator with us. We can only assume she took the lift the rest of the way down to the basement. We hurried out of the building and across the parking lot to the car. We sat there in the car for a while, watching the doors for the woman to leave the building, but she didn't. We had never seen her before that day, and we have never seen her since. So this happened to me when I was around 6 or 7, and I'm unsure if it was just a crazy dream or a false memory, uh, but here it goes. When I was young, aforementioned 6 or 7, my grandparents and I took a trip to my great-grandparents' house for a family reunion-style get-together. We stayed for five days, and the days were fun, but the nights were a different story altogether. I was set to sleep in a spare room on some rickety old bunk beds with my older, I think she was nine, cousin Lori. She took the bottom bunk and I took the top because everybody knows that the top bunk is cooler. Literally, the house had no air conditioning and it was closer to the ceiling fan. Lori's mom was out of work and had been staying with my great grandma to get back on track and try to find a job. Across from the bunk beds, there was a big hole in the wall where I was told my great uncle Buck had fallen down trying to roller skate in the house and his elbow had gone through the wall. The first night I slept there, nothing happened, or if it did, I was just so sleepy from the long drive that I didn't notice. But the second night, I got really freaked out. After Lori and I got in our bunks and mom turned the lights out, I didn't fall asleep for a while. And when I did, I woke up almost immediately. The room was dark, and when I rolled over to try and look down at the clock on the opposite wall, my eyes were drawn to the hole. It took me a minute to realize what I was seeing. There was something lighter colored moving in the hole. You know how at night, when it's really dark, you can kind of see light or white things? Something in the hole was moving, something white. I leaned and squinted, trying to see what it was. Eventually, it got still, and I realized it was a fucking eyeball. Imagine if you were to look into a dollhouse through a hole you made in the wall of it. It was like I was a doll inside, and this huge fucking eyeball was looking through the hole. The white I saw moving was the white of the eye, growing larger and smaller as the pupil looked around different parts of the room. Now the hole in the wall wasn't tiny. I'd say it was the size of a dinner plate. So for the eye to take up so much of it that I couldn't see the whole thing, it had to be huge. I was paralyzed with fear and pulled the covers up over my head and lay there sweating in total silence until I eventually fell asleep and morning came. If it had just happened once, I'd say it was just a bizarre dream. But, every night that I slept in that room, the eye came back. I'd fall asleep and then jolt awake later 
and there it would be in the hole, and I'd be too scared to move. It's a miracle I didn't wet the bed, because if I did, I'd have been too scared to move. I never mentioned it to my grandparents, because I was convinced that they'd think it was bad dreams, and take away my TV privileges. Isn't it messed up how, as a kid, you're more concerned with losing TV access than something that was scaring you so bad at night that you were paralyzed? I did, however, bring it up with Lori on our last day there, and I'll never forget what she said to me, even though it's been 20 years. She looked me in the face, not laughing, and said, It's okay. He can't get through there. He's too big. To this day, I have no idea what she meant by this. Who is he? Did she see it too? I would have thought she was teasing me, but she said it in such a matter-of-fact way that I didn't. And I still don't know how to take it. Years later, I asked her about it, and she claims to not remember the incident at all. This has led me to speculate that maybe it was just a reoccurring dream that I had as a child, or just a false memory, but I don't know. It's something that has stuck with me in a way that some of the other childhood nightmares I had have not. This happened when I was around 7 to 12 years old. The nightlight would reflect an image of what appeared to be a woman's face. She looked old, around her 50s or 60s, with short curly hair and high cheekbones. The reflection was very detailed and very clear. I thought I was just imagining or looking too much into it, but I couldn't think of it as anything else but exactly a woman's face. It would creep me out at night, so much that I wouldn't be able to sleep. Sometimes, it even looked like she changed expressions. On some nights, I'd get a very, very creeped out feeling or bad energy in the room, and she looked like she was crying. I could see the tears running down her cheeks, and on some nights, she looked angry, and she was crying, and her tears looked like blood. And some nights, it was a bright plain circle. It gets weirder. This is the reason why I decided to talk about this. I have never mentioned it to my sister, because at the time, I thought I just had a vivid imagination, and I didn't want to scare her. Ten years later to this day, my sister casually mentions, I remember when we were kids, I used to see a woman's face on our ceiling, and it was the creepiest thing I've ever saw. I told her I thought I was the only one that saw it, and she mentions that it looked like she would change facial expressions, and looked like sometimes she was crying blood, or she'd catch her mouth open late at night like she was screaming. I have no idea what this was. I'm usually pretty skeptical of the paranormal, and the idea of this is very unsettling. This story is definitely going to be hard to believe, but it's 100% true. It's a story that I told very few people in real life, because I know how crazy it sounds. I know people here have had weird experiences too, and a lot of you know more about folklore and entities than I do. Hopefully, some of you can help explain what I saw. I'd love to hear your theories. This occurred when I was 11 or 12. I'm 28 now, and I was staying the night at my friend Danny's house, who lived just a few houses down from mine. There was a large pond behind our neighborhood, and we spent a lot of time there growing up. We go fishing, ride bikes, explore the small forests, etc. But we really enjoyed catching turtles and tree frogs. It might sound weird, but what can I say? We had somewhat of an obsession with reptiles and amphibians. Another thing I should note is that there's an old Native American trail that went through the backyards on our street. It wasn't the Trail of Tears, but it was related to it in some way. I don't really remember. Back to the story. I was up late playing video games with Danny, and after a while, we wanted to do something else. It was close to midnight, but we decided to go out and try catching some tree frogs. A family that lived in a nearby house had gone on vacation, and they had a perfect backyard for catching frogs. We hopped their fence and started exploring. Almost immediately, 
I started getting a weird feeling. I had the feeling we were being watched, or something was nearby, and there was this odd energy in the air. I don't really know how to explain it, but something just felt off. I remember feeling afraid, but I had no reason to be. We had done this kind of thing many times before, and it never inspired fear. About 10 minutes in, we thought we could hear the frog saying help me in a croaky, froggy voice over and over again. The weird thing was, we couldn't see any tree frogs with our flashlights, and the yard wasn't that big. They started chanting in unison, and that made it much louder. Feeling more than a little creeped out, we bolted out of there and back to the street. Now, we were standing under a streetlight on the street corner across from where the frog house was. I looked up at the light and noticed at least 15 dragonflies attached to each other like a human centipede. They were all doing a spiraling motion as they flew closer and closer to the light. It was weird. So, we heard and saw two unusual things, but you could possibly explain them away. What happened next, however, made absolutely zero fucking sense. After the dragonflies did their thing and flew away, Danny and I remained standing under that streetlight. We began talking about the strangeness of the frogs in particular. We both heard them croaking the same phrase, and we were pretty much just saying what the fuck was that about. At some point during the conversation, I was instantly overcome with the most intense adrenaline rush that I've ever had in my life. That feeling of fear without a source while at the frog house was back, but much, much stronger. It was like my fight or flight response was signaled for no reason. Once again, everything felt off, and it felt like there was an intense energy all around us, making the air heavy. I was terrified, and I found out later, my buddy was feeling the same thing. I became as still as possible, listening intently to my surroundings. I didn't hear anything unusual, but I suddenly began to feel drawn to look at the street behind me. I knew something was there. Whatever was behind me was the source of my fear, and it was putting out overwhelming energy with its presence alone. I hesitantly turned around and looked. A side note, I have full body goosebumps just recalling this. In the middle of the street, about 20 yards away from us, there was an ordinary looking 5-7 to seven year old girl with long, dark black hair wearing a white nightgown. She was sitting Indian style on the street pavement with a doll on her lap, and she was combing the doll's hair with a hairbrush. I was pretty much terrified beyond imagination. I was frozen with fear and could barely think straight. There was an incredible amount of energy in the air, and I knew something wasn't natural. She looked innocent enough, but I felt like she could snap me in half with the snap of her fingers if she really wanted to. Another creepy detail was that she never even looked at us. She kept her head down and focused on her doll, but she definitely knew that we were watching her. After what felt like an hour, realistically, probably 15 to 30 seconds, a car turned onto the street and began heading down the hill toward the girl. I remember the headlights getting brighter and brighter as it approached her. You would think, maybe I would try to save her real quick, but... I legitimately couldn't move. Also, I didn't really expect her to get hit for some reason. I never felt like she was in any sort of danger. Eventually, she became lost in the car's headlights, never looking up from her doll this whole time by the way, and the car just passed right through her without any sound of a collision. It stopped at the stop sign 15 feet from us and made a right turn. We took our eyes off of where the girl was as we watched the car turn. When we looked back to where the girl had been, she was gone. Instead, there was a dog on the sidewalk, precisely parallel to where the girl was sitting in the street. The dog was looking right at me when I noticed it, almost like it was waiting for me to see it. Then, it just turned around and trotted up the hill in the other direction. After a few seconds, the shock wore off and we sprinted back to Danny's house and spent half the night 
looking out his second story window toward the street. I don't know what I saw, but Danny saw the exact same thing. I've always felt like there was a reason it happened, or a reason it showed itself, whatever it was, to us of all people. Last thing, the house in front of where the girl was seen was haunted. I lived on that street for 10 years, and four or five different families lived in the haunted house during those 10 years. All of them said it was haunted. I have a couple stories about that too, but this is already way longer than I wanted it to be. Anyway, thanks for listening if you made it this far. Please let me know if you have any theories on my experience. It was Boston, the dead of night after Christmas Day of 84, and I had just turned four. It was a good year for presents, and one thing I got was a tent bed, a pop-up tent that fit over my mattress. I slept on one side of the house, while my parents and three sisters slept on the other, separated by the kitchen and living room. It was a very old house. I woke up in the middle of the night to a noise coming from the living room. It sounded like random digital tones. I recognize now, like the first 10 seconds of ELO's telephone line. I was clutching my Cabbage Patch Kid doll. My sisters all had one, so my parents got me one. The boy, a Red Sox themed one. And rolled over and can see out of the vents at the top of the tent bed. A cascade of tiny shiny diamond shapes. They were floating down around my tent bed. Not through the vent. And it didn't scare me or anything. I just thought... Hey, look at that. That's pretty interesting. You don't see that every day. Still carrying my Cabbage Patch doll, I unzipped the tent bed and walked to my door because I assumed my sister was going to get an ass whipping because she was up playing with one of the new toys. Specifically, I thought she was playing with a Monkey C Radio Shack calculator she got that made noises. When I got to the threshold, I saw, standing in the kitchen about five feet in front of me, a three-foot-tall humanoid blue creature. It looked like it was made of modeling clay. It was holding my mom's ancient copy of The Joy of Cooking. It was open, and it appeared to be reading it. Then, it looked directly at me, and its mouth went round like an O. I assumed in surprise. I immediately noped the fuck out and jumped back into my tent bed, clutching the Cabbage Patch doll tightly. I was completely terrified and just stayed like that until I eventually fell asleep. Nothing happened like that before or since, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I found it in a box of old VHS tapes I picked up from a flea market. I hunt for deals there. Sellers are often just looking to unload the crap that sits around off their hands. I buy in bulk, then check the goods. Tossing out duds and ensuring items work, are clean and include the necessary pieces, before jacking the price and selling them on eBay. Videotapes are usually a minimal profit at best, but I've found rare items. First releases, Black Diamond Edition Disney's, and rare cover versions that collectors eat up. At any rate, I picked up a large box of tapes that looked to be in great condition for $5, and it wasn't until I got home that I started checking them thoroughly. When I did, I found a standard black video cassette tape missing a box. Normally, these don't interest me because they're usually unsaleable. Secondly, this had no standard label, so it was likely some home movie. What stopped me from tossing it right then and there was the black strip punch labels stuck to the back that read 23-2-11 in blocky white raised numbers. I suspected from the dating system it was European and when it didn't play on my NTSC VCR, that confirmed it. I huffed as I returned to my closet and fetched the European PAL deck. It was only 6pm and I had time to kill, so I popped the tape into my old VHS player and pressed play. The footage was black and white, shot high up from the center of a room where the wall met the ceiling. The camera was pointed down to a thin woman hunched over in a wheelchair. Based on the angle and the stillness of the footage, it was clearly a surveillance feed. The footage was grainy, but I could see the seated woman looking disheveled. Her gray chin-length hair was matted and messy, and she appeared to be dressed in a filthy hospital gown. The way the woman was positioned looked still and unnatural. 
I quickly realized her wrists and ankles were bound to the wheelchair with straps. Both the walls and floors were padded with quilted square cushioning, and the door behind her had a slot in it, resembling something out of a mental hospital or a maximum security prison. Just a second after the recording began, the bound woman raised her head and looked directly into the camera. I immediately felt a growing sense of dread as the intense stare of the woman burned into my retinas. Some primal part of my brain awoke and implored me to get away. But I just watched as curiosity and fear mingled into an all-encompassing wave of building anxiety. The woman just sat in her chair staring, but I felt my mouth begin to dry and my breath felt abrasive. My sinuses burned, and soon I felt the patter of liquid onto my lap from my nose, but I couldn't turn away from the screen. I heard a rapid tapping, and it took a few seconds of trying to understand the sound, before I realized it was the chattering of my teeth. I was shivering, and my arms and legs trembled as I watched the woman on the screen tilt her head to one side, as if observing me through the screen itself. That feeling of impending danger heightened, and I wanted to turn it off at that point, but... I just kept watching as the woman began fidgeting in the wheelchair's restraints. She was becoming progressively more agitated, thrashing until the chair began to rock between the two large wheels. After a few minutes, she opened her mouth and began to scream. The tape was silent, but I swear I could hear her faintly, though not through the speakers. It was like she was screaming from inside my head, small and muffled from deep under the folds of my brain. I felt my lips crack in stinging slivers. I began to wonder just how long I'd been watching the tape, but I was enthralled by the unsettling footage, unable to stop it. Eventually, the door to her room opened and two large men in white uniforms entered her padded cell. One was shorter with a shaved head and stocky build, the other taller with a slender frame and a face framed by dark bangs. The tall man began holding his head in apparent agony screaming and then dropping to his knees on the padded floor. He remained there as the shorter guy struggled to remove the cat from a syringe. I only then noticed the subtle relief my own body experienced. It was as if whatever had taken hold of me, the intense dryness in my throat, a pulsing headache and the palpable dread, had redirected its focus. The man on his knees began to shiver, and soon enough, his nose streamed down a dark rivulet of blood. The shorter character with a shaved head had uncapped the syringe but was clearly struggling. His right arm drew it closer, needle first, towards his own eye. His left was gripping his other wrist, struggling to redirect its course. I watched in horror as the tip punctured his eye, just a centimeter or so. He seemed to regain control and quickly removed it. He then stabbed the needle into the bound woman's shoulder and pressed the plunger fully down. The feeling of intensity seemed to wash away from both the on-screen characters and myself. Euphoria set in as my previous state of dry, labored breathing and chest pains left me. The two workers at the hospital, prison or other such facility, both seemed to recover as well, the one helping his cohort to his feet. The two men left the room, securing the sturdy door behind them. I watched for a few minutes as the woman in the wheelchair slouched and then dropped her head. She looked to be asleep, or at least heavily sedated. She remained that way for a good minute or two after the men had cleared out. I watched her slack body for a few more minutes in utter fascination, until the tape reached the end and stopped with an audible click. The intense anxiety dissipated completely, and I only then realized how absolutely drastic the shift in my own state had been. I felt as if I'd been desiccated, every ounce of water in me sucked out, yet my nose was wet and dribbling down my chin. When I wiped it instinctively with the back of my hand, I saw that it was blood. There were dark red spots on my lap as well from where it poured during the viewing of the tape. I stood up and my muscles ached and groaned. I glanced at my phone for the time and stopped in my place, my jaw gape. The time read six, the same time I started watching the tape. I was about to chalk it out to a glitch when it changed to 601. There was no shadow of a doubt in my mind that I'd watched the tape for a good 10 minutes or so. I stretched my aching muscles and walked to the bathroom to clean my bloody nose. I downed a quarter or so of water, dying of thirst. I waited a few days before even considering watching the tape again. 
when I did, everything that secured my knowledge of the world I knew seemed to crumble. It was a sunny afternoon a week later when I built up the courage to watch the tape again. I just felt the urge to confirm what I experienced was real and not some effect of delayed food poisoning, an allergic reaction, or some other bizarre coincidence. I popped the cassette tape and rewound it, which took only seconds. When I stopped, I pressed play. The woman bound to a wheelchair once again appeared on the screen, and a foreboding feeling of dread began to simmer inside of me. Something was different, though. The woman was askew, facing the camera still, but at a slightly different angle as if the wheelchair had shifted. On the floor behind her, black spots where the guard had yet to collapse were on the floor. It was as if the tape was showing a continuation of what had previously been recorded. My palms began to sweat, and my throat dried like an arid desert as I watched the woman staring into the camera once again. Her hair was shorter, trimmed down unevenly as if someone had hastily clipped the matted patches and knots. I knew it was impossible, but the tape appeared to be now showing a different recording altogether. Then, she looked up at the camera and I felt it again. My throat swelled and dried, and my breath began to burn. Her dark eyes locked onto mine through the screen. I felt the spasm in my arms and legs as they began to shiver. My sinuses flooded, and my nose began dribbling out a thin stream of blood, which dripped rhythmically onto my shirt. I watched, unable to peel my eyes away, as the woman in the wheelchair yanked her spindly arms, snapping her restraints. I let out a yell as she stood up fully, revealing her filthy hospital gown. She walked slowly toward the camera, and her wrinkles came into view through the fuzzy tape. Her features looked young, but her pale skin was wrinkled and speckled with burst capillaries. Her eyes were milky with cataracts and looked wild with excitement. She drew closer, getting larger on screen until her face was clear, and she mouthed something I swear I could hear inside of my head. She spoke the words, Je te vois and a hint of a smile crept onto her face before the tape clicked to a stop. I haven't yet worked up the nerve to watch it again. I bled a significant amount during the second viewing, and I'm frankly scared of the videotape. I attempted to make a copy, but it showed nothing but a black screen when I played it. I even tried recording it with my phone, but the TV screen in the video was black aside from a flicker. What I just can't shake are those words she'd spoken that resonated from deep within my skull. They're French. And they translate to... I see you. This was a recollection shared to me by my paternal aunt. This happened when she was a little girl. In the past, it wasn't uncommon for some Navajo families to be very large. 8 to 10 siblings on average. Being the youngest, she recalls that it was her and her older siblings' duty to herd the sheep to their summer camp in the mountains. The kids were sent on foot with the flock and sheepdogs. Many households had single-cab trucks if they were lucky, so it would be unfair for the parents to take some kids and not the others. So only the parents rode in the vehicle and would await the kids at camp. Hauling water and packing summer clothes and essentials such as imperishable food items. The majority of the RAS didn't have any water or electricity, and no paved roads at all. She said it took a little under two days to walk on foot all the way to their sheep camp if they took a shortcut through a canyon. On the first day, the sun is beginning to hang low in the sky, and they decide to make camp. She explained that, back then, there were many Hogans scattered across the RAS that didn't have permanent inhabitants. They were built with the same intentions as the reasoning behind hunters' cabins, to temporarily provide shelter for hunters, or in this case, sheep herders. She said that these Hogans often had corrals for wary shepherds to house their sheep or livestock for the night and continue on their way the next day. Ranchers and locals would upkeep these safe houses sporadically. She remembers clearly being instructed by her mother which Hogans were meant for that purpose, and the ones that had people die in them and were off limits, making them uninhabitable according to Navajo tradition. In place of a door, there was a tattered, moth-eaten blanket hanging from the doorframe. On the inside of the east-facing entrance was a plyboard, 
It was meant to be leaned up against the doorway and prevent wild animals from entering when occupied. Her older brothers gathered wood and started a fire. The smoke went up the stovepipe in the center of the Hogan. She remembers everyone being fatigued and tired after a long day's march. The dirt floor provided a familiar and comforting smell. They laid their sleeping bags out. The plywood board was put up against the doorway. The brothers found long logs to leverage against the board. Staring at the smoke escaping through the smoke hole, she could see the stars and the dark night sky. The smoke hole was unusually eroded away, making it seem wider than typical smoke holes. The dirt pile on the ceiling of the Hogan was probably eroded by wind and rain, not being maintained regularly, just packed down with fresh mud. The fire was just embers now. As she was drifting off to sleep, she said the sheepdogs that had accompanied them just started going crazy outside, howling and barking. She hears the thudding of a horse running around the Hogan. She is startled by a loud thud up against the board at the entrance, but the brothers had braced the doorway correctly and it doesn't give out. Then she hears a thud on top of the Hogan roof. Dust and debris begins falling from the old-fashioned Hogan roofing under the weight of whatever was walking on top. Her older brother, who was closest to her, whispers in Navajo to close her eyes. She said curiosity got the best of her, and she kept them open. Rocks the size of gravel started falling down the stovepipe. The skinwalker was deliberately throwing heavy rocks down the stovepipe, making loud metal scraping noises as they fell into the Hogan's fireplace. In the dark, her eyes dart from the low-glowing embers of the fire, upward, following the deep blackness of the stovepipe and out the smoke hole. There were no glowing eyes, as she would have expected, just the silhouette of the head and torso of the skinwalker peeking in. She described it as having ears on top of its head like a coyote or dog, but the ears weren't of the canine variety. The ears were elongated and pointy. In the darkness, she said they looked like donkey ears, but were positioned on a coyote-like head. She spent a few moments frozen and staring at the creature, never having seen anything that resembled it in nature. It was unaggressive and only watched them for a while, eventually dismounting from the roof and the familiar thuds of horse hooves off into the distance. The dogs howled and whined after it, but they never left their post at the sheep corral. This happened when I was 14 years old. It was summertime, and my mom had just went through a nasty divorce. My mom, brother and sister, and I moved into a new home. Since my mom is now working overtime to dig herself out of a financial hole, and my brother and sister are gone a lot, their dad has joint custody of them. I'm home alone a lot of the time. Of course, I love this. I play The Sims, invite my best friend over all the time play with my dog and cat, and roam the streets on my bike. I don't remember the house being haunted at first. Everything was great. It started with the tapping. I had my desk against a wall in front of a window. This wall was on the outside of the house. I would be browsing my computer, my feet against the wall, leaning back in my chair, and something would start tapping the wall near my feet. I thought nothing of it, until it started tapping in rhythms that just didn't sound like normal pipes. Not that there would have been pipes on this wall anyway. The tapping would circle my feet, go up the wall and back down again. It started annoying me so much I would run outside to try and catch whatever animal was doing this. Of course there was nothing there. Eventually, the tapping just stopped one day and never happened again. Then the lights started turning off in my room when I would be getting undressed. I would take off my clothes at night to get into my pajamas, and the light would just turn off. This is when I first started to get a creepy chill. Something telling me that this was not a normal electrical issue. When the room was dark and I was standing there in my underwear, I could feel someone looking at me. It was so scary I would run into the hallway almost immediately open the door just a crack, and turn off the light and turn it back on again. It never had an issue turning back on, and it never spontaneously turned off unless I wasn't dressed. 
One day, I went to the closet to test this and see if the lights would turn off in there. I took off my clothes and the light turned off. After that, I was so freaked out I started changing my clothes in the hallway bathroom only. It never happened in the bathroom. Then the chair started spinning. I woke up one night to see my desk chair slowly spinning in circles. There was no AC on or any fan. Besides, it would have taken a powerful fan to be moving the chair like that. It was pretty heavy. I used to close my eyes and try so hard to explain this phenomenon away in my head. I opened my eyes and the chair had stopped, facing me. I just knew there was someone sitting in that chair, watching me. My bed was up against the wall. After this, I slept in the fetal position, nearly hugging the wall every night. Then, it started talking to me. I woke up one night, and all my hairs were standing on end. I felt paralyzing fear like I had never felt in my entire life, and have never felt anything like it since. Even though every cell in my body was screaming at me to run, I couldn't move. And then I heard it. My name being whispered in my ear. It was a man's voice, and it was never louder than a whisper. It would repeat my name over and over, very slowly. I gathered all the strength I could, every fiber of bravery in my body, to curl up my little body as small as I could into the corner of the wall, and just hope for it to go away. As much as I wanted to run, I couldn't turn around and face whatever it was. One time, I felt it move down my body, almost like a ball of electric energy, moving down the bed until eventually just sitting at the end of it. I felt it sitting there, as it had actual weight. After this, I tried sleeping in my brother's room when he was gone. This was working until one night I woke up, and there in the corner of the room was a dark shadow figure of a man, standing there clear as day. I didn't sleep in my brother's room again after that. So then, I started sleeping in my sister's room. It never bothered me in my sister's room, but she was only gone half the time. The other half, I was stuck in my room. I started staying up all night, lights on and blazing, browsing the computer. Many times, I fell asleep at my desk. I started falling asleep at school and napping during the day. I was so tired all the time. One day, I was sitting on my bed texting someone. The closet was across the room in front of me, and it was open. There was a shelf on the wall of the closet, and a pink wooden box on that shelf. The pink box started shaking and moving back and forth across the shelf. There was a few random notebooks in there, nothing else. I called my mom into the room, and as soon as she got there, it stopped. Only a few incidents happened outside of my room. Once, I was talking to my friend on the phone and making a peanut butter sandwich when the TV turned on. It then changed the channel, muted itself, unmuted itself, turned off and turned back on. Neither the dog or cat was sitting on the remote or anything like that. Another time, it was Christmas. My cat was sitting by the window being cute. I decided to sit down and take a video of him. As soon as I turned on the video, the snow globe next to me started playing a song. No big deal, I told myself. Sometimes when you bump them, they play for a few seconds. I finished the video and went about my day. Later that night, I opened the video to watch it. As soon as the snow globe stops playing, someone in the background screams. It sounded like a woman's voice or maybe a young boy. Honestly though, it didn't even sound human. I did not hear this when I was recording the video, and it was loud. I would have heard it, and there was no one else home. Lastly, the scariest incident of all. The hallway to get to my room was laid out like this. My room on the left, my sister's room on the right. There was two doors in the bathroom. The one that opened from the hallway which showed the bathroom sink, and another door in there you could open to see the toilet and shower. So when both doors were open, from the hallway, you could see the toilet. I went to the hallway to turn on the AC. I looked over at the toilet, and all of a sudden, the door slammed shut in front of it. It was slammed like someone was trying to break it. It was that hard. Then, bam, 
The other bathroom door slams right in front of me. This was so terrifying I ran out of the house and sat in the driveway until my mom got home that night. Eventually, we moved away. Years later, my mom sees a psychic a friend recommends to her. My mom is asking about life in general, and the psychic starts talking about my mom's kids. My mom said the conversation was light and airy and pleasant until she comes to me. My mom said her face changed, and she said, Your oldest daughter. She was tormented by an evil spirit for a long time. That spirit wasn't in the house when you first moved there. It followed her home one day. She was somewhere she shouldn't have been. You need to tell her to be careful. This will happen again if she's not careful. She has a kind of energy spirits are very attracted to. She then gave my mother instructions on how to seal my energy every morning so that I am safe from spirit attachment. When my mom came home and told me this, I was completely floored. My own mother didn't even know that I was tormented in that house. I had never told her. She just thought I had insomnia. But a psychic had known all that I went through. I just couldn't believe it, and it was actually really validating. I wasn't just crazy. What I went through was real. To this day, I don't know where I was that I shouldn't have been. Maybe a portal? I used to spend a lot of time roaming the nature preserve behind the house and found lots of creepy things out there. I don't do the energy sealing that I'm supposed to do every morning. I haven't had anything like that happen again, thankfully. Before this, I was your typical teenage atheist that thought religion was a tool to control the masses and life was black and white, life and death. This showed me that life is not black and white. There's a huge gray area. And now I spend a lot of my time reading and learning about this gray area. Thanks for listening. So this happened nearly 10 years ago. And I've never really spoken to anyone about it. Because I didn't want to seem crazy. I've only recently told my husband. When I was in 6th grade, I was sat taking an exam in one of the classrooms and I had a good view of the outside world through the windows in the room. As you would expect, the room was silent as everyone was busy taking the exam. I had finished early, but wasn't allowed to leave the room, so I sat in my seat and looked out of the window. I should point out, it was around 11 a.m. on a pretty sunny day. As I'm looking out of the window, it suddenly starts to get dark. And I mean dark. This wasn't just some clouds covering the sun. This was as if the sun had disappeared entirely, and it was nighttime. The streetlights came on, and it looked like it was the middle of the night. I remember there was a weird, dark purplish hue to the sky, too. I obviously looked around the room, but no one else seemed to notice, because they were still working on the exam. This lasted for around a minute or two, and then it was like it never happened. The sky was clear again, and it was sunny once more. I've never seen anything like it happened before or after this time, but it's something I'll never forget. This happened in the UK, and it was not an eclipse. I know what an eclipse is. I've seen more than one, and I actually researched eclipses after this event to see if any were due to be happening, and there weren't. This happened yesterday, August 12, 2020, and I scribbled down as many details as I could on a scrap piece of paper in my car. I wanted to try to get my story down while it was still all fresh in my mind. Yesterday, I took a drive up through Wyoming and then took Mirror Lake Scenic Byway back down into Utah. My grandma passed away last week and I needed some time to go clear my head, which I often do with a drive. Mirror Lake Highway is beautiful, and being a Wednesday, it wasn't crowded at all, so I could take my time and enjoy it. One of the pull-offs on the road is the Slate Gorge Overlook. There's a short trail that leads to the overlook, and you can then look down into the gorge, it's not super big, and see the Provo River. No one was there, so I took a seat and let my mind wander a bit. You can sort of get an idea of what it looks like from this picture. 
I've been there probably 20 minutes or so, when I saw something come out from behind the trees. I was excited, thinking maybe it was a moose or elk, and I always like seeing those. But what appeared was what looked like a hunched over person that was sort of half walking, half crawling, rather slowly. While that in itself was weird, it was even stranger that it looked like the person was wearing a really heavy, cruelly fashioned, gray fur coat with a hood, but one that was several sizes too small for them. It almost looked a part of them, like they had fur themselves, but that didn't really make any sense to me. It was also around 80 degrees out, with temps clipping 100 in the valley, so it wasn't cold by any means. While the sides are kind of steep, you can get down into the gorge without too much of an issue. I kind of thought maybe it was someone doing a TikTok video or something like that, but I didn't see anyone else around to be filming. Eventually, whatever it was made its way to the water, and it stuck its head in for a drink. As it looked like it was finished, a group of people were coming up the overlook, and they had kids with them who were making a bunch of noise. It can echo through the gorge a bit, and the creature slash person heard it and took off incredibly fast on all fours over pretty uneven ground. Now, I'm not sure what I saw. In all likelihood, it could have been a person getting in touch with nature and wearing some homemade costume. But the way they moved seemed unnaturally human, especially when the noise spooked it and it took off running. I'm sort of conflicted between a person in a fursuit and an actual cryptid. Both seem plausible, and I don't really want to immediately jump to conclusion on what it could be. I've always been in a Bigfoot, and it didn't remind me of anything Bigfoot related that I'd seen, so I've pretty much ruled that out. But otherwise, I really don't know. I wish I would have thought to bring my phone with me, so I could have snapped a photo, but I left it in my center console since I didn't want it going off and spoiling the quiet time. Any thoughts? I really don't know much about Utah cryptids other than Bigfoot and supposedly a pterodactyl that flies around there. I grew up poor in the mountains of southwest Virginia. We didn't have cable, internet wasn't available, and we lived in a rural isolated location so no other kids to go out and play with. As a teen, I would often spend my time hunting and riding my bike a few miles to the river to go fishing. I was a stereotypical country boy. I was, and still am, completely comfortable and at home in the woods by myself, even at night. We had hounds, and one night, I took them out alone to go hunt raccoons. I went to our hunting grounds and turned them loose, same as I had done plenty of times before. I sat down and waited for them to open on a track. We didn't have the best dogs. They were young and not trained great yet. If they couldn't find a raccoon track, they would open for a rabbit or deer or something. After a few minutes, they hadn't opened and that was very odd. I started to walk and call for them, but I wasn't getting any response. I kept walking and came out of some brush into a cow field so I could walk easier and go call for them in the next holler over. A holler is a small valley in between two ridge lines. As I came out into the cowfield, I noticed the entire ride line, a couple hundred yards, is all glowing red. I first thought that the farmer was clearing brush and had a bonfire burning. I wanted to check it out and make sure it wasn't a forest fire starting. As I got closer to the top of the ridge, I noticed the glow was solid and not flickering like flames would. I also noticed there was no smell of smoke. I noticed the sheer amount of light and most of what I noticed was the color. It was red. A very bright vibrant red. The only way I can describe it is like a stoplight on a dark street. How it will cast a red glow on everything. That's the color that was reflecting back to me off all the trees. I froze. This wasn't something natural. This was way off the beaten path, with no electricity. It would be possible for a lifted 4x4 truck or tractor to get there, but no way to make that much light without a lot of vehicles lined up with their brake lights on. I had a 20 gauge single shot shotgun with me loaded with birdshot. 
I happened to have a few shells of buckshot and some slugs in my backpack. I quickly loaded a slug and held a few other shells in my hand for quicker follow-up shots. I prepared to defend my life. I was terrified. I snuck home as quickly and quietly as possible without using my flashlight. I told my mom and stepdad what I had just seen, but they brushed it off and I was scolded for leaving the dogs in the woods. I guess they thought I was just lazy and didn't want to go after them. They knew the way home and were waiting in their dog houses for breakfast the next morning. The next day, I went back and looked hard for any signs of what I had seen. There was absolutely nothing out of the normal. No burnt areas from a fire, no tire tracks, nothing out of the ordinary, and I looked hard. A few days after that, I woke up and went downstairs to the living room. My stepdad was waiting for me. He jumped up and said that he had saw the lights also. He had been hunting in another location, in the opposite direction of the house, but both were still in walking distance. He was waiting for the dogs to open with his light off, when three bright flashes of red light lit up everything around him. He said it was bright enough that he could have read a newspaper. We never had another encounter with the red light. I don't know what it was. I'm not saying aliens, possibly military, but I'm not ruling anything out. I joined Reddit a while back, solely looking for others that may have had a similar experience. Someone suggested a website a while back, and there was a sighting within about 10 miles of me, with pictures of the same red color I saw. Only, it had happened about 10 years later, after my experience, 